The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, Our Constitution, Our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Welcome everyone. I want to go a little bit further into the aftermath of the Stamp Act. Since the Stamp Act is the most widely known act that England imposed on the colonies. I don't want you to forget about the many other acts that we've already discussed. So uh, this one seems to be uh, the most widely talked about. So I wanted to share some information about it on this show. So there were many, many acts uh, that were imposed by England on the colonies. It was becoming quite ridiculous. Does that sound familiar to today? Uh, no one was surprised that the colonies actually despised the Stamp Act. Uh, as we discussed in a previous show, it wasn't even the amount of the tax. In fact, the actual tax was quite small. Uh, the opposition went well beyond financial or money. Uh, collectively, uh, the opinion was that all of these taxes were becoming an issue of freedom. And many also thought that if they just went along with it, then this may just be the start of it. Well, they thought also it would eventually become a much bigger problem that branches out to everybody. I think that might sound a little familiar and similar to today. Without representation in Parliament, the colonies had no effective way to prevent the government from continually taking money out of everybody's pocket. And that seems to be the common thread of any government around the world wanting more, needing more, and, well, honestly, they just take more. That also sounds familiar to today. In Massachusetts, James Otis had become head of the legislature's Committee of Correspondence, and he recommended uh, the uh, encouraged uh, other colonies to get together in a regional congress. This way, the colonies would appear as one body, more unified, and maybe uh, get the Stamp Act removed, or more correctly stated, repealed. What eventually happened was the creation of the Stamp Act Congress. A little bit about James Otis, because it's quite fascinating. He was an American lawyer. Uh, I think everybody back then was a lawyer. Uh, they had to pass the bar, like today. Um, but that was kind of the thing. You, you notice that many founding fathers uh, and people of the era were, were attorneys. And that was the start of uh, all these lawsuits, right? Uh, anyway, George, James Otis graduated from Harvard. He was a political activist. He was a pamphleteer, a legislature in Boston, and a member of the Provincial Assembly, uh, and a very staunch advocate of the Patriot cause, and views against the policy of Parliament, which led to the American Revolution, right? He was a fiery man with passion so obvious, it often encouraged others to believe in him and the cause. And I think that's a big deal. Um, he was very adamant. And uh, the way he spoke, the way he wrote, really captured people's attention. Uh, he had many of his speeches that were over four hours long. 
And one of his most uh, well-known catchphrases was taxation without representation is tyranny. Uh, That became the basic position of the Patriots and later became the well-known phrase, no taxation without representation. So Otis, he, he wrote an article in June of 1767, which was published in the Boston Gazette, which spoke negatively of the Custom House agents. Uh, one of them attacked Otis and hit him in the head with a cane, causing, quote, derangement in the brain, and he was never the same afterwards. Otis did sue him and received $5,000 in court from the assailant, which, by the way, is a tremendous amount of money back then. But no amount of money would really make up for the brilliant man who was never 100% the rest of his life. In 1777, Otis withdrew to the country on account of his ill health. He was called into public life again, but was unable to perform the duties. And uh, after the War of Independence, which he so adamantly advocated for, he attempted to to resume practicing law, but was not very successful. Uh, One of the most odd, I think, crazy things about Otis is how he died. So in September of 1783, he was standing in the doorway of his home, called the Osgood House, waiting for the rain to cease. He was telling a story to his family and friends who were inside. And Otis, because of his previous injury, was holding a cane. Uh, He was struck by lightning and fell to the ground, dying instantly. No other bolt of lightning took place. There was very little damage uh, to the house. And oddly, there were no marks, burns, or other blemishes on his body. Even more odd is he expressed to many people that he wished that his death might be by a stroke of lightning. (laughs) And he did get his wish. James Otis also coined the phrase, A man's house is his castle. Uh, The full quote actually reads, A man's house is his castle, and while he is quiet... He is as guarded as a prince in his castle. Otis's reputation was built mainly upon his famous challenge in 1761 to the British, uh, who was imposing search warrants designed to enforce or curb trade and smuggling and also the navigation laws in North America. These search warrants allowed officers to search any home or business for smuggled goods whenever they wanted, without cause. Uh, just They could walk in, search, do whatever they wanted, uh, and he felt like that was not legal, and he fought for that. Uh, Otis was elected in May of 1761 to the Provincial Legislature of Massachusetts, of Massachusetts and he was re-elected every year thereafter during his active political life. So he was well-liked. Uh, in 1766, he was chosen as Speaker of the House and was passionate, vocal, and very articulate in his speeches and writings. He was one of those guys that everybody knew about. Uh, he was often quoted and overall supported by the masses for his Uh, staunch opposition to England, their acts, their rules, their laws. He was just tired of it, like many others, but he voiced his concern. Otis lived in the Osgood house, which was the early home of Reverend David Osgood, who also graduated from Harvard, 
and he was a very able and high-quality minister of his time. He volunteered as a chaplain at the Battle of Bunker Hill, and he was very vocal about his sentiments against the war. I kind of find it ironic that back-to-back owners of the home had 100% opposite positions on the war. One did everything he could to fight against it and have personal rights and freedoms, that being Otis, and the other did not want anything to do with war against England, uh, that being Osgood. Otis married Ruth Cunningham in 1755 until his death and had two daughters, Mary and Elizabeth. So Mary married Benjamin Lincoln, who was a major general in the Continental Army. Uh, Lincoln was one of the very few officers who was involved in three surrenders, that being the Battle of Saratoga, the Siege of Charleston, and as George Washington's second-in-command, he was the one that accepted the British surrender at Yorktown, which was the last major conflict of the Revolution. On a complete tangent, one of Benjamin Lincoln's pallbearers was John Adams in 1810. Uh, The other daughter, Elizabeth, uh, had several letters of correspondence uh, that I read through, both with John and Abigail Adams. Um, Elizabeth left the country after eloping with a British officer, knowing that her father would definitely not approve of that. In fact, she only returned home for a brief visit and then died sometime after 1821, and records show that she was listed as a widow, but I could not find any specific date or cause of death for her. Now, James, her father, showed how unhappy or offended he was with her running off with the enemy, as he only left her five shillings to her in his will. All right, let's get back on track. Sorry. But I I thought that was really interesting. You know, you start on the Stamp Act, and then another person, and then you dive in, and you just find these crazy, amazing um, side stories. So that's that's what I like to do, is share those things that rarely get talked about. All right. What was the Stamp Act Congress? So there were many uh, riots, protests, mobs, and violence, which included countless acts of destruction of property. Uh, I think now was the time to get serious about getting rid of the Stamp Act. That's what they thought. So 27 delegates from nine colonies met in Federal Hall in October of 1765, and behind closed doors, they argued, negotiated, and tried to formulate a response that they were going to send to the king. Unfortunately, uh, due to it being behind locked doors, nobody really knows what took place what was actually said, and the very few and scarce notes that were taken uh, have been lost or destroyed in a fire. At any rate, there's none that I could find, and many historians have been unable to. It would be nice to be a fly in the wall on that little session. The Congress first produced a Declaration of Rights and Grievances, which made clear that they remained to the king and owed, quote, all due subordination to Parliament. Uh, But they did claim that the colonists had the same rights as those in Britain, including the right to never be taxed without being represented. Being taxed wasn't the 
biggest issue so long as it was done by elected officials and being represented. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Secondly, they took offense to having cases tried in admiralty courts. Uh, They believe that all cases have the right to be heard and decided on by a jury of their peers. Now, being tried in an admiralty court was not only unfair, it was highly unlikely that they would ever win. Um, In fact, the majority of those that went through the admiralty court were found guilty. Uh, So, therefore, the Congress requested the repeal of the Stamp Act and use of the Admiralty Courts to try the colony. They wanted both of those gone. And with a lot of supporting documentation and the overwhelming support of the colonists, this seemed fair, reasonable, and justified. I mean, right? These two need to go. Here's the reasons why. We still are loyal to the king. Um, And so that's what the Congress, the Stamp Act Congress was doing. They used the Declaration of Rights and Grievances to produce petitions for the King, the House of Lords, and also the House of Commons. They did tread softly with their words and no threats were made. However, it was pretty obvious what they wanted and that England needed the colonies as much, if not more, than they needed England. Uh, The Congress sent petitions that they created to London, but they weren't published in the local newspapers until the following spring. And when they were published, uh, many people said this declaration was weak, timid, and bordering apologetic. I think the main reason that they were kind of treading softly was that if King George took this declaration as a threat or disobedience, he could consider them treasonous, and that is not a good thing to have King George label you as. So I think that's why it was a little less forceful. But it was clear what they wanted. That's my guess. And you also may have figured out that Parliament received these, and they rejected them and would not condone any colonies banding together to formulate a strategy to fight their laws, rules, or requirements. That was pretty obvious that that was going to happen. Now, I've posted the full text of the Declaration of Grievances on our website, on our show notes, but just so you have a taste of the language and feel of it, here are a few examples of what they wrote, and I'm quoting from the actual Declaration of Grievances. That His Majesty's subjects in these colonies owe the same allegiance to the crown of Great Britain that is owing from his subjects born within the realm and all due subordination to the august body of Parliament of Great Britain. Another section reads, That the people of these colonies are not, and from their local circumstances, cannot be represented in the House of Commons in Great Britain. That the restrictions imposed by several late acts of Parliaments on the trade of these colonies will render them unable to purchase the manufacturers of Great Britain. Uh Uh-huh. See see what they're doing here? 
saying all these restrictions are not allowing us to buy your goods and uh, if we don't buy and import your goods your economy is going to go way down because we imported a lot of stuff from Great Britain. Uh, lastly that it is an indispensable duty of these colonies to the best of sovereigns to the mother country and to themselves to endeavor by a loyal and dutiful address to his majesty and humble application to both houses of parliament to procure the repeal of the act for granting and applying certain stamp duties of all clauses of any other acts of parliament whereby the jurisdiction of the admiral admiralty is extended as aforesaid and the other late acts for the restriction of american commerce Whew, that's a mouthful so anyway there was uh probably four times that many paragraphs or statements or grievances i should say but all of that is posted in the show notes on our website patriotpowerpodcast.com in the end uh, the widespread boycotts enacted by individual colonists and businesses probably did more to secure the repeal of the Stamp Act than the Stamp Act Congress itself. However, in having the Stamp Act Congress, it showed England that, hey, they're working together. They're not separate colonies. And clearly, they're they're getting very organized and they have one voice, which was concerning to England. And for the first time, against all odds, Respected delegates from differing, uh, differing colonies sat with each other and engaged in a spirited debate. I think that might be put um, mildly, but yes, <laughs> a spirited debate. In fact, when they did this, they actually uh, discovered that in many ways they had more in common with each other than they had originally thought, which is an important step toward unity that would be necessary to eventually declare boldly and firmly their independence from England. Despite the negative reactions to the petition was important because representatives from the colonies were united in a mutual cause. The Stamp Act Congress would shortly be followed by the First Continental Congress which was established September 5th, 1774. I cannot wait to share that with you. Uh, we've been in the building where the first continental congress took place and uh it's it's pretty pretty darn cool um i think this is a good place to stop for now um trying to keep these a little shorter and to the point even though i had a nice tangent but interesting information about uh, james otis he's a man worth doing a little more research if he interests you um quite quite the character uh, but next time, we're going to talk about the uh, Stamp Act repeal and the Declaratory Act. Don't forget to visit our website for our show notes that will have a photo of the Osgood House and other links associated with this episode. Thanks for listening and hope that you tune in next time with us here at the Patriot Power Podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you'll get notified when our new episodes are available for you. And we hope that you check out our websites, which include our show notes, links, documents, and more at PatriotPowerPodcast.com or ILoveGeorgeWashington.com. Until next time, hope that you and your family have a blessed week. And remember, be safe and tell a veteran thanks for their service.